1: It's a brand new episode of I'm a Doctor, Not a Podcast, Cinema Geekly's Star Trek Podcast. It is Anthony Lewis joined by Aurora Loo. Hello, Aurora. Hello, hello. And Fleet Admiral, the one-man bridge crew,
0: Ben Knight. <laughs> uh, uh, hello. I've arrived by <laughs> shuttle this time rather than the usual transporter because, well, we're going Discovery, aren't we?
1: Yeah, Oof. that's right. There is yep. Actually, there were not a lot of shuttles in this no? mm-hmm. People yeah. were traveling by transporter and by like a spacesuit. Like there's yeah, spacewalks. Yeah, launching
2: themselves into, into space. Yes, yeah, yeah. lots of
1: <laughs> not a lot of shuttlecraft, which is weird. I thought there'd yeah. be more shuttles, but uh, perhaps that CGI budget. You know, we don't, we can't, we can't have too <laughs> many uh, flying objects on screen. Uh, so we are. Here. They didn't want to
0: feel like they were ripping off the Oval.
1: <laughs> Perhaps, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I can't actually. I'm going to talk about the Orville in a little bit. I've seen all of the episodes thus far and have opinions about it. Um, I've only seen one so far. But uh, oh, have you? Okay. Uh, but we are primarily here to talk about Star Trek Discovery, the first Star Trek television show in oh twelve, 12 years? years. Yeah, twelve yeah. years. Oh my goodness! Since the uh, the end of Enterprise. And, uh, we've we, oh so I I guess we've talked about the show a couple of times on this particular podcast, mostly about, uh, reactions to the trailers and bitching about the distribution methods, <laughs> at least in the United States. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. cause Ben, Ben gets to see this on Netflix, but, or, or if you live in Canada, they air it on regular television in Canada as well. Uh, I don't know if it's actually on Canadian Netflix Also, But I presume since they're showing it on television there, that the answer is no. But Mm -hmm. if you live in the United States, it's behind a paywall, with the exception of the first episode. There's a lot of stuff to talk about with how this show was shown in the United States and the distribution method. And then there's a million other things, because we are all Trekkies on this show, that Mm we'll get a chance to discuss In depth and in detail, some of it might not even be all that relevant to the show, but whatever, (laughs) who cares?
3: Uh,
1: But there's a ton of it to disseminate, so let's start getting to it. It is season one of Star Trek Discovery. It is episode one, part one of a two-parter called The Vulcan Hello. Right off the bat, by the way, guys, I might be the only one, but I kind of miss them showing the episode title on the screen.
2: When the, when the yeah. episodes start, that yeah. was like
1: that's like a staple of Star Trek. Every Star Trek did it. It's
2: true. Yeah,
1: I kind of miss it. Like uh, I forget what the episode titles are until I go onto the internet, and then I yeah. see that they have them. Um, yeah, it's
0: true. It's true, isn't
1: it? And it yeah, and as we will, hmm. and as I will note, uh, again, this is also something the Orville does. They put their episode titles on the screen. So I'm not saying one's yeah. better than the other. I'm just saying, I can't... No, I didn't I didn't
2: even think about it, and now that you mentioned it, and now I'm kind of upset about it. <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: it's just a little. It's just <laughs> a little thing that they used to do that I miss. It's just one of those things where they, you know, they just pop it on the screen, tomorrow's yesterday or something. Yeah, and,
2: yeah. Uh,
0: Maybe they'll start from episode three, because they. the same one and two obviously aren't sort of part yeah. of the major stories yep. before we get diving yeah. into this uh, the first hmm. thing we should mention is that these first two
1: episodes are actually like a prologue to the actual series yeah the show is called Star Trek Discovery the main credits show the ship discovery sort of it's like the the art book version of the ship but uh, it is in the opening title sequence but we will not be seeing it until episode number three right. because this These two episodes serve as basically a prologue, a setup uh, for the rest of the show, which is one of the many ways this show is different from all previous iterations of Star Trek on television. But we will get to all of those things, I'm sure, shortly. So let's talk about episode one, The Vulcan Hello. Uh, I'm just going to read straight from the Wikipedia here so we can get right to the discussions uh, much quicker. So uh they completely ignore the actual opening <laughs> the cold open of this show uh which involves a uh, uh, a klingon we learn the name of later is Takuvma who's talking mm-hmm. to his uh I guess his house we're going to talk about klingon houses too uh but his uh his house of klingons giving him uh the, he's giving some sort of rousing speech to them and then we also see uh our Our captain, who is not our main character, and there's going to be another captain later, who is also not our main character. (laughs) Uh, But our our two characters, Philippa Georgiou and Michael Burnham, and they are on like a desert planet. Or did they actually ever say the name of the planet?
2: I don't think so.
1: Maybe they've mentioned it. I didn't catch it. But they're on a desert planet, and they're there uh, to basically be Starfleety. There's a a drought going on for like, uh, it'll be a drought that'll last for like 89 or 90 years. And they're like opening up a well essentially for, uh, these alien creatures to, uh, to continue to stay hydrated on. Uh, but that is sort of like the cold open, uh, here is the episode as a whole. Uh, So we begin investigating a damaged satellite near a binary star system at the edge of Federation space. The crew members of the USS Shenzhou discover an object obscured from their sensors. At first, Officer Michael Burnham volunteers to investigate it. Uh, When she does, she uh, she finds an ancient carved vessel. She is then attacked by a Klingon in a spacesuit. This is, by the way, all happening in spacesuits out in Mm -hmm. space. Uh, when trying to escape, she accidentally kills him. Uh, a group of Klingons mourn the death of their soldier, dubbed the Torchbearer. before the outcast, Valk, volunteers to take his place. The Klingons, led by Takuvma, reveal themselves in a cloakable ship. It's weird to read it like that. They reveal themselves in a cloakable ship. (laughs) Takuvma preaches to his followers of the Federation's uh, attempts to usurp individuality from the Klingons and their culture, and plans to fulfill an ancient prophecy by uniting the 24 great Klingon houses, as was once done by Kaelas. Volk activates the beacon and summons the Klingon leaders. Burnham... Desperate to prevent a war, attempts to fire on the Klingons first against the wishes of Captain Philippa Georgiou. Burnham is arrested for mutiny. Now, obviously, that is skipping over a lot of things that happened in the episode, (laughs) but we will dig into them. I'm going to start with Ben. What did you think of the Vulcan hello? Uh,.
0: I mean, first of all, obviously, it goes without saying that any Star Trek, as we've covered before, uh, after twelve years Star Trek drought, um, was going to sort of have a degree of anticipation. Mm-hmm. My biggest concern about this, I think we've discussed it on this show before, was that it wouldn't um, it wouldn't sit right. Something would be so sort of jarring with it as to make it unenjoyable. I am thrilled to say that there was no such jarring in Episode One. Mm-hmm. Um, and spoilers, it' not in episode two either, uh, as far as I could see. Um, it, I think I think it was solid. I like the so the, the the Klingons are the thing you've got to kind of address, sort of square on, I suppose, with it. And I think when you discover the con- or when you think about the context of who those Klingons are, particularly, mm-hmm. um, they are uh, kind of well, they're, they're kind of extremist uh, traditionalist um, Klingons, and what they appear to be wearing. Uh, supports that I think I think it's a sort of um that they they're in an ancient battleship uh they are uh, wearing I think what's going to turn out to be not traditional klingon clothing I don't think the rest of the klingons are going to be dressed in the same way as uh the klingons on uh on that ship I I would imagine
3: mm-hmm.
0: um and and I like, I mean, it, the, I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, I, I know how you two feel about Star Trek, so I'm guessing you had the same buzz from these first two episodes as, well, any, anyone in our position. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I thought it was great. Um, I, 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 the big surprise for me was um, I wasn't really sure whether I thought Michelle Yeoh was um, good casting. Uh, mm-hmm. And she was damn awesome casting. Oh,
2: she was amazing. <laughs> Especially by the end of the second she? episode, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I know there's obviously a spoiler uh, issue regarding um, her, but uh, the, I can't remember, was it After Trek? Is that the name of the show? that? Yeah, the the, the Matt Myra
1: show, yeah.
0: Yeah, which I I couldn't really tolerate much of because he got on my wick a bit too much, but... um, (laughs) Not Matt Myra. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but they did cut to some, uh, I I think it was on that show, I can't remember where I saw it now, they cut to some sort of, sort of release event type um, thing going on. And it was in Toronto at Pinewood and she was present on set. Now, uh, that, I've seen a couple of other places where people have said that she is uh, on set, still was last week or the week before when they were still filming. Yep. Um, and, well, we didn't see the issue happen in full... Di- anyway, just saying. mm
3: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm. It's it's possible. I've I've also heard that she
1: does appear throughout the rest of the season, but in flashback, flashback. form. Because they, yeah. if there's one thing I did gleam from these shows that stuck out a lot is that this show likes to do flashbacks. At least, in these oh episodes. yeah. Episodes, and if that's if that's anything, there will be there will be more flashbacks. Uh, Aurora, what did you think of the first episode?
2: I love this so much. <laughs> now, do you love I, it so
1: much that you're like, I'll get a CBS All Access? Subscription? I
2: I am going to get it. Yes. Awesome. That's how much I loved it. Um I that cold open when um they're walking through the that desert and mm-hmm. she makes the the logo to ah, signal yeah, yeah, the yeah. ship. Um So I was, I was
1: worried. I I was worried when I saw that in the trailer of like, boy, that seems kind of right. Goofy and like what? Yeah. But yep. in the episode it, it made perfect sense.
2: Yeah. I got I, I got like mixed emotions in that because I was at on one end, I was like, if there's a, a sandstorm, that would be wiped out. So, you know.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> but for it a moment, that's that kind clear. of
2: <laughs> <laughs> But on the other hand, when you see that logo and you see the ship coming in, I got like that, you know, like, oh, my God, yes. Yeah. They play this, I loved it so much.
1: They play a bit of the Alexander Courage Star Trek theme when the was yes. is like dropping down from the. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah.
2: I love everything. I love how the bridge looks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful. Um, every single person in uh, in the show I love. The acting was great. The special effects were awesome. I like the story. Everything. They just convinced me that I want to watch it.
1: Yeah, yeah I was uh, really impressed with the visuals. Yes. Uh, with the exception of like maybe uh, one or two things, it, they really... Seems, seems like they really broke the budget as far as visuals yeah. go. Like, it is very cinematic-looking,
0: uh, well, let, for let's, sure. If we can say about that. So I, I, I know we talked about this off-air, but I, um, generally we bought a new television to watch this show, which yep. is kind of nuts, but there you go. Um, <laughs> we've now bought a bit of uh, Blu-ray 4K discs of films that I never want to watch, but anyway. Uh, the, right, so it, on Netflix in the UK, it's being uh, streamed in 4K HDR. Mm-hmm. and which mm-hmm. is kind of I guess the kind of maximum experience for it and uh, it did not disappoint so I've since seen uh seen this in in 1080 kind of regular streaming and it still looks good I mean you know it, it's 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 aesthetically really well constructed but in um in its sort of you know s- settings to maximum it is That's right, yeah. genuinely oh my god I can't yeah it, it's just breathtaking um, I would urge anyone watching, it, if you feel it, all... It, occasionally, I mean, this is a problem with a lot of modern televisions—is uh, Motion Plus or whatever the various different versions of Interpoling are called on your different brands of TVs. But uh, if you turn that off uh, and just have it, have it, or set it to minimum, um, watch this the way it was filmed, and it—it it, it is yeah. just breathtaking.
2: Yeah. Yep.
0: I um, before I talk about the episode real
1: quick, I would like to note that we've been talking off and on about the problems at least in the united states about how it's being distributed Mm -hmm. and when we heard that they were going to be showing the first episode on cbs proper uh i was like oh oh cool cool um you know like that's a good if you're going to try to entice people to sign up right uh you know that's a that's a that is a way to do it Mm -hmm. uh what i did not realize was how intricately tied together these first two episodes are and that they basically serve as an introduction to the actual series and they yes. only showed part 1 on CBS. Ouch. Mm-hmm. And all of the craziness, all of like the really big stuff happens in the second part. Yes. If you wanted to hook people there's uh, th- this is a good episode but this is a lot of just setup and not a lot really happens. I know that yep. they're trying to entice people that are like that are feeling like, oh wait, I can't wait to see what happens next. But it didn't end on that big of a of a cliffhanger that I think that it, that it really made it work. I'm, I'm also a little concerned about trying to reach a, like a more casual audience. Like this was pretty heavy Star Trekky feeling right off the bat. So if you're... I, I yeah. think they
0: had to do that. I. I... Do you know yeah. I was I had a conversation with someone about this today? Because I think the real danger is that they did what JJ um, Abrams did and say, "Well, let's try and cast on that wider right from the start, mm-hmm. and then you know we'll throw in stuff that will keep the fans happy." Star Trek as a TV franchise is something you just can't do that to. I mm-hmm. think if you if you pissed off the fan base um, from from the get go it doesn't matter how good you made or how broad the appeal to the wider population might be. If without, without that core fan base driving that forward, um, I think it would be toast. And if you look at the people who are involved in, uh, in this show, they had the decent sense, at CVS, I think to, uh, assemble a team of people who you've, you've got a, a lot of modern sort of TV visionaries, you know, that the guys who have, you know, dragged us into the, uh, they call it the golden age of TV. Yeah. Uh, but you've also got, um, you've got some hardcore Star Trek buds in there. I mean, you've got yeah. freaks we know is directing some episodes and so on. Yep. Um, I, I think if they had dialed down the Star Trekness of this first episode, I think the critical reception would have been far, far harsher than, yep. even if episode three sucks, which I don't anticipate it will, but even if it did, mm. if they hadn't done this from the start, they would be crucified by midway through this season.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um yep. i mean this is this is also i mean it it was very star trekky but it was also this is this whole show at least in these first two episodes, and I get a feeling this will carry out throughout the rest of the season is constructed like no other previous show um it's uh i mean i'll I'll wait until after the we talk about the second episode, but there's a lot of things that i'm kind of curious about at least at least as it pertains to my own hang-ups about Star Trek and I mm-hmm. have readily admitted in the past that they are my hang-ups and they do not have to appease me but they're just things that my the way my brain is wired I have to ask these questions and I need to have them answered otherwise my brain will break <laughs> uh, but we will, we will I will I will touch on those in a bit I really like this episode I really my favorite scene is actually like there's two favorite scenes one of them I th- I thought was kind of just felt like super Star Trekky to me where they were looking at the the Klingon, whatever it was, the beacon, and they couldn't mm-hmm. really get a good view of it because it was obstructed. And they're like, how do we get a good view of this thing? And they're just like, they use a, a an old telescope. Yeah. Which yep. I thought was like really cool. <laughs> I was just like, that is so awesome that they're just using a telescope to try to see it. Um that, that felt like shit that they would do in like next generation or something. I was about to
0: say it yeah. felt kind
1: of Picard, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was like yeah. a kind of a Picardy moment for me. Uh but I really liked the um I kind of liked the looser so I guess, I guess they had to they had to, like a tough task here. So we were we were told when we first meet these people that they have been a crew for at least since Michael Burnham joined them for seven right. years. Mm-hmm. So these people have to be like the like the level of family and friendship that like TNG season seven had. Uh which I was fine with, by the way. You've noticed everybody was very familiar with one another, referring to each other by their first names a lot, uh, and th- and things like that. But I really liked them poking fun. So like uh Saru, who is Doug Jones' character, mm-hmm. uh clearly has uh they he butt heads with uh Burnham frequently.
3: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I
1: love the little joke, a little the like just a little funny moment they did where they kind of both agreed on something. Yeah. And Captain George, was like, oh my god, they they agree on something. Mark it mark it in the in the log or whatever. He's like, Yes, mm-hmm. sir, marking the time and date, like entering it <laughs> into the log. Like that sort of stuff. I just I like those little tiny moments. Uh, those were all really cool. I've got a lot more to say about um how the show looks though, like the visual aesthetics and uh, the Klingons and things like that. But we'll talk about those after we kind of wrap up the second episode. Um, Ben, do you have any final thoughts on the first episode or would you like to give it a grade?
0: Oh, craggy. Um, It's hard to grade on in isolation, isn't it? The first one. Uh, uh, Actually, do you know what? For the fact that, I, and I included in this the, the the visuals as well for the whole package put together for an, an Open River series that's been absent for 12 years that has this much anticipation mm-hmm. um, I'm going to give it four and three quarters
1: Wow out okay. of five
0: because I think I think it, it needed to come out and hit strong and it needed to be Star Trek not something else and it hit mm-hmm. just about every base for me
1: Okay cool uh, Aurora what about you any final thoughts on the first episode or uh drop a score
2: um, I like you guys were saying I was worried that it wasn't going to be very very Star Trek um, I thought it was going to try to you know please a broader audience and the feeling I got when I was watching this especially this first episode I got so much nostalgia um, and it it just made me feel like I was watching Star Trek um, mm-hmm. that I'm going to give it a 4.5
1: awesome Okay, uh, before I drop the grade, I I, I want to ask: Did anybody see the uh, the picture that the uh, I don't know if it was the uh, like the the set team or somebody involved in the production dropped of some of the things in the books? Yeah, the books in Captain Georgiou's ready room. Yeah. We're seen it? them. Uh, okay, so yeah, so
0: on the, on the bookshelf in the ready room, there are uh, I don't, can't remember how many many, but yeah, and each one of them was an episode title from either TNG or DS9 or the original series. That was very good. Cool. Uh, yeah, they were, and there was a bottle of um, Chateau Picard there as well, which yep. I'm. I'm uh, I think people are, are accepting it as uh, as a joke rather than anything, you know. Wibble wobble timey wimey. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's just some nice little touches. Yeah, those but, details. It, yeah. But this is it. You, know, you talk about the nostalgia, and of course, so we've got the the, the original series sounds sort of in the background. Mm-hmm. In, in, oh, there were the a lot background. of them. Yes. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. and the nice thing was though that whilst everyone you know, everyone likes an Easter egg, um, a lot of shows that that we talk about on on you know, across the, the cinema geekly sort of platform, a lot of shows have to rely so heavily on Easter eggs when they explore different things. And I really liked the fact that this did not place a sort of abundant sort of, you know, let's nod to the fans so many times. Yeah. They just went, no, no, this is Star Trek. This is part of what, you know, feel comfortable. It's how it goes. Uh, And we talking about the nostalgia. It felt, it felt comfortable. It felt. Yes. Yeah. uh, Yeah. You're absolutely right with the nostalgia.
1: The Easter eggs were like, the communicators look like the communicators. <laughs> like, yeah. Those aren't really Easter <laughs> eggs, but, um, yeah. So, so there, I, there I... are only two
0: that were sort of interesting. I suppose you've got the, you've got the two nods I could see to the, um, Abrams universe. You had the, um, the ubiquitous lens flare, although thankfully it was mercifully, uh, sparingly used. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, think it'll probably disappear during the course of this series as well. I, I suspect, um, and the pods, uh, the learning pods on Vulcan. Uh, oh I mean, yeah. We've, we've seen we've seen a previous version of those. Um, yes. in Prime, haven't we? But these were very clearly modelled on the, mm-hmm. the Abrams universe, and I, I think that was more of a sort of nod in their direction than anything else. Um, and I, I was I was okay with that. I did feel a little uncomfortable when I when I first saw it because I thought, oh no, please don't <laughs> start ruining this. And they didn't. It was just a little little sprinkle of oh yeah, this yeah. happens too. Yeah, yep. I think that's solid.
1: Uh, yeah, I gave it a four.
0: All uh, right.
1: Um, like the, I think that's the lowest score of the bunch. But... <laughs> it's not
0: easy to prove, please, are you? No, I am not. <laughs> I gave when it comes it a, to Star can, Trek, I, can, I, can I just no. remind you James <laughs> Frayn? Oh, it's Sarek. Yeah, I mean, that, that not nudging you a little bit? No, no actually, <laughs> uh,
1: believe it or not, I've feel like maybe the show would be better if he wasn't in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, I was, uh, I was not feeling his at all. Uh, I mean, we only got to see the, uh, the fellow who was playing him in the JJ movies. We only got to see him in that first movie. Right. I don't think he appeared in any, any of the subsequent films, but mm, I preferred, yeah. I preferred him to James Frane in these episodes. I mean, and obviously, you know, Mark Leonard is the definitive, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I just... I mean, I know he's in there to be like, you know, here's your link to TOS. Although, it doesn't really work that way. It's not like Sarek wasn't in, like, the J.J. J. Abrams movies either.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk. We'll talk about how, how my weird brain is working after we talk about the second episode. But, uh... <laughs> Uh, Before we do that, uh, we should thank the good people of ThinkGeek for sponsoring the show. And boy, do they have a very timely piece of merchandise that you can purchase right now. Uh, It is the Star Trek Discovery CBS All Access Pin. Have you guys seen ads for this thing? Uh, They're basically... (laughs) They're basically selling a CBS All Access gift card. It's a $25 credit for CBS All Access, so that'll get you, I don't know, roughly 4 months, I'm guessing, of access uh to CBS All Access and it comes with a USS Shinzo pin. Hmm. Um it's, hmm. so it's it's 29.99, you're getting a $25. Oh, it's quite, gift quite nice. Credit. I just yeah. looked at
0: it. Yeah, all right. Yeah. That's that's nice.
1: Uh, it's not bad. There's a million other Trek things, though, if you're like, screw CBS All Access. There's a million other amazing Star Trek things and uh, a million other amazing non-Star Trek geeky things at ThinkGeek. And to get there, to shop, use our link, cinemageekly.com slash thinkgeek or go to com and click the ThinkGeek link at the top of the page. Okay, let's... Can, can I
0: just say that ThinkGeek, uh, for $14.99... Uh, have the Star Trek Discovery insignia badges, um, yes. oh, including the including the new well new the the medical one, um, and that is a really good price compared it to is. the official merchandise from uh, from CBS. Oh, yeah, like CBS store. <laughs> yeah, well, CBS or uh, the licensed Star Trek stuff. So I I bought yeah, yeah. the command uh, badge from, and it's I think it's the same one actually. Look, so yeah, the two short field magnet one. Yeah, uh, I bought that from the Star Trek. Uh, exhibition in Blackpool, and it was twenty five pounds, I think. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I, I, I sent you a photo. I can't remember how much it was. I think it was twenty five pounds, uh, which is crazy expensive. Yes, um, <laughs> it really, really is. I mean, that's. I mean, they are really good quality. They're you know really heavy duty. Um, you know, they're, they're very impressive, and magnets with the sort of strength that you do think you probably don't want to wear them that close to where your heart is. Uh, but. Yeah, seriously, that can't <laughs> be good for you. Uh, but yeah, I, I felt uncomfortable buying that at uh, $24.99 in the UK, whereas I would have felt considerably more comfortable buying it at $14.99 in the US. So get yes. the To Think Geek and find that, because that's a lot better.
1: CinemaGeekly.com yep. slash Think Geek. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 2, called Battle at the Binary Stars. Uh, so, the lighting of the Beacon of Kaelas has brought forth many, many Klingon ships, presumably 24 representing the 24 Great Houses. Tekuvma convinces the majority of the Klingon leaders that he can lead them to victory over the Federation. As reinforcements for the Shenzo arrive, Captain Georgiou offers to resolve the situation peacefully, but the Klingons immediately open fire. Starfleet Admiral Anderson arrives and again offers peace to the Klingons, but his ship is rammed by another cloaked Klingon vessel. Anderson has his ship self-destruct, destroying the Klingon ship as well. Starfleet retreats, leaving the Klingons to collect their dead in the remains of the Shenzo. Burnham escapes her cell after uh, some encouragement, I guess, from Sarek. This mm-hmm. is a new Vulcan thing we learned they could do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can... <laughs> They uh, apparently Sarek transferred part of his Katra to her or all of it.
2: I guess. Somehow. Which does sound painful.
1: Sa- <laughs> yes. He saved, uh, He. uh I mean, this is all, this is all in flashbacks where he saved her life as a young child. She, she is basically like Worf, uh, where Worf, Worf's uh, family was killed by mm-hmm. Romulans and he was raised by humans. Right. Uh, Michael Burnham, was her family was killed by Klingons, and she was raised by Vulcans. Uh, but I guess they have some sort of telepathic link, and Sarek uh, speaks to her through this. Uh, she can. Uh, Michael makes her way back to the bridge and convinces Captain Georgiou to try to take Takuvma prisoner. And they create a distraction by sending an explosive onto his ship, uh, along with a Klingon corpse. Boarding the vessel, Burnham overpowers Valk. But Georgiou attempts to capture uh, Takuvma, capture but is instead impaled with his Batleth. Uh, Takuvma is fatally shot by Burnham, who is transported to safety. Vok promises that Takuvma's legacy will live on, and Burnham is sentenced to life in prison for her mutiny. Uh, so that's a crazy way to end a show. <laughs> Your main character is sentenced to life in prison. Star yeah. Trek! Fun. <laughs> yeah. That'd be, like, amazing. Can you imagine See if, See like, you in 12 TNG... years, dudes.
0: That's what
1: you say. <laughs> Can you imagine if, in TNG, if Picard, like, the first far point ended with his imprisonment? Well, Tom I Paris mean... uh, got locked up, didn't he? He was. Tom Paris was locked up at the beginning of Voyager.
2: I mean, he's uh... a good cliffhanger, I guess. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, Aurora, what did you think of the battle at the Binary Stars?
2: Again, I loved it. I, I spent this whole episode just glued to my computer... Just I couldn't look away. Like I was just I didn't want anybody to talk to me. I was just <laughs> so into it. Um, and again, the special effects amazing. Um, yeah. Everything. Like a looked, huge space battle in the second episode. Oh my god! And it looked awesome. Yeah, yeah. It um, it it, it was it just did. amazing. Um, the only thing that you know I I'm sad that the captain is dead. <laughs> yeah. Special, especially because I love her. She was so um, good. Yeah. She was so good. I I loved how you know because you have um, this commander in uh Burnham mm. that needs a captain like her. Mm. Um, yeah, I feel I feel like both of them complemented their personalities so well on camera that having her killed in the second episode is just like what I. I want her to be there, so that will be my only thing. But hopefully, the 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 show continues in a way that doesn't make me miss her too much. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I love it.
1: What about you, Ben? What did you make of the second episode?
0: Right, I think it's a really good call about the dynamic between those two characters. Because yeah, because Michael Burnham c- could be, I think, left unchecked, she could be quite unlikable. Um, right, and she, it's it's uh, you sort of run your mind back over. Um, uh, ranking officers in Star Trek Canon, trying to think of someone else who would go well and uh, yeah, I mean Michelle Yeoh excellent bit of casting, excellent bit of writing i mean um, mm-hmm. is, a, is a is a strong character as well um, and it reminds because... me
1: of uh, she reminds me of low uh, Ro Laren,
0: kind of yeah, yeah yeah there is yeah more than a little yeah um, and, and I think it 's important because, as you said earlier on, uh, the first two episodes are the the sort of prelude to um, to the to, to the series. And and really, I guess the function of it is for us to get to know uh, Michael Burnham before we before we see how she slots right. into to the universe. And I and to do that, you've got to see her in an extreme scenario. You've got to mm-hmm. see her pushing hard against a, a long-term respected officer, so that when she, you know, t- spoilers, I guess, when she turns up on um, uh, um, Malfoy's ship, uh, that. Uh, yeah, and we see it's her just, being exactly. We see her being a, a dick, and you know whatever else, and we're not surprised because yeah, we know that she's got that about her, or we see that prison's changed her, or, or whatever you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's important. It's a really clever device actually to get us to understand her character far far deeper before we see her in in the sort of fuller context of the show. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so I mean, so it serves that purpose.
1: I mean, she's a like a, a much like deeper. We're we're not really introduced to characters quite that deep so early on in a Star Trek show. Like she's got a lot of layers to her. I think a lot of people looked at maybe her actions in these first two episodes and just was amazed. Like how would she ever rise to the rank of like first officer on this ship? Right. But I, the, the general feeling that I get is the, like, she was exemplary. Like, you know, she had disagreements, she had her opinions and maybe the ship isn't, wasn't like as stuffy or whatever as like, you know, the enterprise D where Gene Roddenberry had this idea of like, everybody always gets along with each other always, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, and I almost even kind of prefer that a little bit, but yeah. you know, they're not, they're not doing that here. So she well, wasn't they, perfect. Well, this isn't
0: the first time we've had that, though. I mean, if we could, uh, to, sorry oh, sure. to, to interrupt, but I mean because a lot of the criticism that has come from from this has been people saying that they've broken, you know, the, the first Roddenberry rule in terms of no internal conflict. But actually, no. um, the, the that last that happens all the time. Well, Damn. I mean, particularly though, if you look at um, uh, uh, well, Enterprise was kind of founded on degrees of that, I suppose, because of T'Pol. But um, if you look at Voyager towards the end of that there was um they they did it several times they they kind of rebooted the conflict idea so you started with the maquis um seven when she joined the crew of course there was yeah sort of constant locking of of horns Mm -hmm, and i think that mm -hmm. was given some depth by the fact that we also knew that off screen um uh, things were a little bit cold as well between her and the captain but anyway um so you know this idea that somehow they've broken one of the the golden threads here i i just don't believe it and oh, i do yeah. i think they've been i think actually they've been a little a little bit yeah. more nuanced and a bit more subtle in the way they've done it here
1: uh there are you know i yeah so they they did break that um although it's you know as you mentioned it's been broken like a million times and the i think really what it what it boils down for me though is i by and large like they they've shown that these people have been together for seven years, almost a decade. I don't feel like she became quite this person until the Klingon showed up. Like that was her trigger. They're the ones yeah, she that was triggered by that. Yeah, they killed her family. She was just a little kid. These are the these are the people that ruined everything for her. She doesn't have a family anymore. She grew up on Vulcan. You know, outside of like the Klingon incident, she's not really that character all the time. I think a lot of people maybe took that away though. Uh, from mm-hmm. her because a lot of the a lot of the responses are she's an asshole uh, yeah so there there was a lot of that and maybe maybe she is like I, I don't know we're only a couple of episodes in I'd like to think that the main character of our Star Trek show is not a jerk <laughs> right. uh, I'd like to think that this was just you know this brought back a lot of feelings and obviously like she spoke with Sarek a bunch of times and he's like you know, you got to make sure that you're doing this. You know, for the right reasons. You're not thinking mm-hmm. with your, you know, heart. Make sure you're thinking with your brain. And she's like, "No, no, I'm totally not doing any of those things." And clearly, she was doing all of those things. So, mm. yeah. Uh, I mean, I, in a way,
2: in a way that show punished her for being a jerk. So,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, That's right. uh, the Klingons are super interesting in this for me, though, as we we talk about the visual. The way that they've done things visually there's a lot of people who are just sort of treating this as like a visual reboot of the original series essentially mm-hmm. uh, uh, there are some other people who think it's like a straight up reboot and they're just telling us that it's in the prime timeline to get suckers like us to to follow to, to fall down <laughs> if the that road
0: happens, ball. I will track someone down. Let me tell
1: you. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, obviously all of the aesthetic choices have been noted that tie it very much so to the J.J. Abrams-Kelvin timeline. And even the Klingons here look way more... Obviously they look way more like his versions of the Klingons than they do what we've seen uh, previously. Now, oddly enough, the... Uh, producers of this show, of which there are many, by the way, if you've looked at the opening mm-hmm. credits, I think mm-hmm. there's nine hundred producers on this show. But <laughs> yeah. at least at yeah. least a quarter of them have said something along the lines of the Klingons look this way for a reason and if you watch yeah. the whole series you will find out why.
0: I'm pretty sure that's true. And the mm-hmm. themes that are are set out in that first two episodes, <clears throat> I, I I think you can see what the you know, what the reason is. I think you can see it coming
1: perhaps I will say that I've done some digging into the Klingon houses. I've done some digging into the Klingon houses and, uh, as best I can tell so far, we have only been introduced to roughly about 11 or 12 of them in Star Trek's history. Uh, and some of them are obviously very, uh, you know, they ring bells instantly like the house of Moog, or the House yeah. of uh, Martok. Or the House of Kor. House of Duras. These are all...
0: House of Pain. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah.
1: The House of Mouse. There's a lot of
3: these.
0: <laughs> um, and the House of Freddy Boat, yeah. But
1: uh, there are... So obviously, like, the House of Takuvma will probably be added. There, there, we have not been introduced to 24 houses throughout Star Trek. So there is room... For some uh, some expansion, I will say this though they had they showed a lot of holograms of many of the other house leaders, mm. and there were two houses that were mentioned by name that are houses that have, that have appeared in Star Trek by name in the future, and one of them is House Degore and one of them is House Mokai, and mm-hmm. House Degore was featured in. Deep Space Nine. Uh is anyone familiar with the episode The House of Quark? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Where, I love that episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh Grilka, who is a member of the House of Kozak, is that's who like Quark is fighting for or whatever. She's trying mm-hmm. to like take control of her house or something, I don't remember. But their uh their hated rival is De leader of House De And he looks like your regular old Klingon (laughs) to me from all of the Star Treks. (laughs) And the woman playing Denas, who is the leader of House de in this show, looks like all of the other Klingons that we've seen so far. She does not look like one of those Klingons that we've seen in Deep Space Nine. Uh, And House Mokai is actually only really referenced... We don't actually see a member of House Mokai specifically, uh, but that is in the... um, Uh, the Voyager episode where the Hirogen put the crew through their, uh, their tests on on the, uh, on the holodeck and Janeway Janeway is a Klingon and she says she is from house Mokai and she looks like the Klingons we've seen as well. Uh, But that is a house that is mentioned in, uh, in this episode of discovery as well. And they all look like, I mean, so they all look a little bit different from one another. Um, there there are some like design differences between some of these Klingons but they all relatively look very similar. They none of them have any hair. They all kind of have like kind of elongated heads a little bit. They're like way yeah. more alien looking uh mm-hmm. than previous. I know they say it's going to be explained at some point but I don't I don't really know if it is. Uh I th- I
0: think they're doing a race stroke nationalism stroke populism thing and yeah. i think that's going to be a sort of visual representation of it yeah. I, I think you've got um you know to <laughs> to borrow from sort of jk rowling's language i reckon you're going to have um effectively you know really strong talk about bloodlines and ethnicity mm. and race mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and i think what you've got there i think it's reflected in their costumes compared to again if you look carefully across some of those holograms um not all klingons are are in the same type of uh clothing as the uh the guys on this warship so um i i really do think you've what we're seeing here is the kind of klingon extremists um on that ship because we don't all we know is that that's an ancient ship and it's been recovered and he's you know this guy thinks he's the you know the david ike of the klingon world um and uh well i, I as well as why is what i think about it i just think that what we're seeing there is, is is a sort of dying breed um in his mind i suppose of of klingons that they represent the the sort of peak of um and then you add in the sort of doses of populism in there as well that uh, you know echoed through his speeches and oh yeah
3: uh, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm.
0: so on uh, and the the embracing of the token um uh, outsider i mean I mean, that's some ham-fisted Star trek going on right there. That's yeah. the, we'll take a character who, you know, is one person who represents the outcasts generally, um, and we'll have him be the great champion of the little guy mm-hmm. when he makes Connors great again. Hang on, we've gone out of t- Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, in a fairly traditional Star Trek way, I think, I think that's really what they're doing. And it's a really yeah. good idea because, I mean, the last few series we've, we've, Heard attempts or, or at least jokes about the changing nature of Klingons, um, yeah. and uh, and I think this is a really it's a really great opportunity because we know roughly when you know, shit starts to go down in that sense. Um, this is a really good opportunity to fix this now in the canon, um, yeah. and I think ultimately that's going to be the the sort of legacy. I know it's really early to talk about what the leg- legacy of this um, series will be. Yeah. I think that may be it. For now, yeah. uh, for now, until things change, my
1: mm. my brain gets less headaches if I just presume this is part of the Kelvin timeline. Uh, <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen anything that and, and there's very and, and believe as far as I can tell, there's actually very little they can actually do to tie this to like the the original timeline of Star Trek. There are like a few things that they could do. Um, but there, there's not many. Uh, there's, I mean, they could meet Captain Pike and Spock on yep. the Enterprise, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we saw that in the Kelvin timeline. That was a thing that happened. Pike was and Captain Kirk's
0: dad, as we were saying earlier on. Yeah. yeah, right, right. If now, yeah, if
1: George Kirk shows up, then that, uh, you know, explicitly ties it to the, the prime timeline because at this point in the Kelvin timeline, George Kirk is dead.
0: Right. I think they will.
1: Um, so maybe, maybe they will otherwise there are very little uh very few things they can actually do. And for me, it's just it's one of those things my uh it's just some mental block that I crave this continuity, and I know that it's not easy with Star Trek because there are a lot of um continuity misses. Like there's you know there's a lot of small things that that when I watch through Star Trek that I just have to ignore. Like when they talked about in the original series fighting a war with the Romulans using nuclear weapons. Uh yeah. things like that. I just have to ignore that they said those things. Uh but those are small things, like visual visual changes like uh like when they went from like the smooth So for me I never had the problem with like the smooth headed Klingons with uh, weird face paint on to the movie <laughs> versions because mm. I didn't start watching Star Trek until the, you know, the, the movie Klingons or the next gen Klingons were the norm. So it mm-hmm. was weird to me when I saw the not Klingon-y looking Klingons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then, you know, uh, that did cause like weirdness for me though. And eventually enterprise, you know, retconned it mm-hmm. uh, in a way that made my brain happy uh but this is like one of those things uh, where... incidentally
0: sorry tv fans i think from a conversation later on we're just going to have to start replacing the term retconned with karen walker did
1: <laughs> karen walker did
0: yeah i don't uh, sorry spoil sorry just because someone just sent me a message whilst i was listening to you talking about that and it's we're going to have to change it to karen walkering it <laughs> did you see did you see the first episode of the reboot of uh will and grace
1: no, I haven't seen
0: it. If, even if you can't stand the show, just Is watch re- the pre. Watch the cold open. It's brilliant.
1: Do they do they retcon some stuff? Or... It's my
0: favorite retcon in the history of ever.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they're. I mean, even if they, even if they explain in a way these Klingons, it, they would have to do it in a way where by the end of the show they're all dead because they're never mentioned or seen or heard from or even referenced in any future iteration of the show. like I know there's a lot of people, and I don't blame them, who are just like, yeah, I don't care, as long as the stories are good.
0: Have you seen the Photoshop thing that's kicking around of what what if? If you took, um, I can't remember which one they did it to, uh, but they took one of the the new Klingons um, and basically added sort of the traditional Klingon hair (laughs) <laughs> um, and changed the uniform a bit and I bet you know that was amazing. Well, I was gonna say, you could see that they're not a million miles off, and I have a feeling that that design might be deliberate. Um again, we are looking at uh all we've seen so far are sort of Klingons of yeah. high status, um, who are at the the top of, you know, fairly traditional houses and everything else. Yes. I'm not sure again, you know, talking about the sort of perhaps whether it's uh well the sort of populist um side of this that they're clearly looking at yeah. i wonder whether there's another whole section of klingon society here which give us the link back to the klingons that we know in later um yeah. star trek Possibly. so I, I i don't think they're going to wreck on these guys out of existence i don't think there's going to be a major incident of any sort um i just have a feeling what we're seeing here is i wonder if it might be something to do with the breakdown of um divides within Klingon society because we know very little about Klingon society other that's than true. what they became
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah um so i wonder if there's something of that nature
1: hmm. yeah see that's always always optimistic when it comes to star trek
0: yeah. uh so and
1: and hey there was not a lot of optimism in these two episodes <laughs> uh when, it's I, true, yeah. when i when i <laughs> in, the, in the in the overall feeling so um you know so like other than other than that like, that's just, like, a brain-breaking problem for me. Like, my head just wants that connectivity. And I know other people just want good stories. And I don't blame them. I want them to. But I also kind of crave that connectivity for things to all make sense. Because I like to view Star Trek as one big story. But, um, you know, again, that's a that's a me hang-up. And not necessarily an everybody else hang-up. Um, outside of that, I really liked this episode a lot. And this was a much better episode. To the first episode, which I thought mm-hmm. was good in doing its setup, but there was a, a lot more to take in here.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I found myself rewinding just to see if I could hear the names of all the Federation ships. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh, are there any references in the names of these Federation ships and stuff? Um, it was weird, by the way, that the Admiral was in a, was in was on the ship the Europa, which did not look like what would be like the, the Admiral's ship. It just looked like one of yeah. those... It looked like the Shinzo kind of actually it looked like one of those lower level exploratory vessels. You'd think the admiral would have one of those big ass ships, like a Constitution yeah. class. We didn't see any Constitution class ships, by the way, No. Uh, in that battle. I'm presume maybe I, I'm guessing we will see one before the season is over.
0: But I'm guessing that his ship was, you know, supposed to be pretty hardcore though because it, you know when he turns up it wasn't just oh there's another ship it was uh oh, you know here, here right. comes the cavalry it's a and- right.
1: day with a tractor beam and all that stuff
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah anyone else shout at the
1: tv use the grappler um <laughs> <laughs> they've already yeah. they've moved past grappling technology
0: apparently they have <laughs> uh but hey it would have been useful though huh although there um, is some sort of grappling thing in the opening credits which was there weird. is yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah, I, yeah, I, I think it was a bit weird what they did with his ship, if I'm honest. Yeah, <laughs> and there was, there.
1: I mean, outside of some of the displays and things like that, there was really only one thing in this episode uh, or the previous episode that really felt like way more technologically advanced for its time period, at least within the bubble of the Star Trek universe. Mm. And that was how great their holograms worked. Like they did the, remember in Deep Space Nine where they're like, we've got this new way of communicating and it's like a full model hologram. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh my god, it's amazing!" But he can only really stand inside the circle. They've got yeah. like a dude a hologram who's like walking around. Yeah, it's almost... like a
2: three sixty hologram. Yeah. He can have peripheral
0: vision as well. Which
1: yeah. Is yeah. yeah, yeah, leaning on leaning on chairs and tables.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> like what? When did this happen? This is all like you know that's futuristic for us, obviously living in twenty seventeen. But for the start yeah. in, in the bubble of Star Trek, mm-hmm. uh, it it was like that eh, seems a little advanced for <laughs> what we've been shown yep but you know like they stuck to the rest of it like they have uh, an android sort of on the bridge but it's literally like uh like a member of uh i don't god what's that what's that french techno group ben <laughs> What's their Daft name? Punk. Daft Punk, yeah. They literally have a member of Daft Punk on the bridge. <laughs> yeah, there is a touch of that about him, yeah. I love, by the way, did you see when they went to Red Alert, he had, like, the old Red yes. Alert signal from, yes. like, the old Star Trek yes. movies? Yes. That was nice. On his visor? That was awesome.
2: It would be nice if, if at one point they can make him, like, play music or something in the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: They did uh there is a there when they get a new ship and he describes it as better, faster, stronger. Yeah. There is a there is a
1: clip from next week's show where they do mention the Beatles in next okay. week's episode. Yeah. Uh has anyone seen the clip? It's like uh Burnham's yeah. on the discovery and she gets sent to engineering or whatever, mm-hmm. and he's like, I was told they were sending a Vulcan. And yep. she's like, Well, technically, you know, I'm a human, but I was Raised on Vulcan, and he's like, "Well, my dad plays in a Beatles cover band, but that doesn't make him John Lennon." (laughs) I'm like, "Jesus, Uh, (laughs) nice to see that the Beatles, though, live on in the 23rd century or whatever." (laughs) (laughs) It was a Burnham, Uh, but yeah, I so there's and that scene also that they showed had more humor in it uh, Mm -hmm. as well. But um, we'll, we'll I'll talk about humor after we're done talking about. Uh, discovery here but what would you give uh, Battle of the Binary Stars Ben unless you have more to add
0: no no I'm good Um, I'm going to give it the same score actually uh, because I I kind of view these two together the the only bit of jarring in this for me was the same thing you identified which is the the new Vulcan skill which uh, just it felt like a I'm, I'm not going to use the term from the, from the other show, but it was a little bit of a convenient plot point to just you know move things along a bit. Yeah, in a, yeah. and it just felt a little bit contrived, and I, it just seemed weird to me that there were ob- you know other obvious ways of of dealing with that. And we have it, mm. sort of
1: seen mm-hmm. something like that before during the Forge episodes of Enterprise. Yeah, where Archer was carrying around the. Uh, the Catra of oh, I'm blanking on the Vulcan guy. I don't know why.
0: Um, him, you know
1: the father of logic.
0: Yeah.
1: What's his name?
0: We'll you edit know. it here and sound really cool because we all go, "Yeah, you mean?" <laughs> yeah. Uh. You know who I'm talking about? Like he
1: would see like, but it would happen when he was dreaming or something. That's like right. he oh, yeah. he would, but he would talk to him.
0: And Spock there. has Sorry. been been a passenger as well, hasn't he? So I guess there's that. But, but this felt him? kind of different because he's still in existence and in corporeal form elsewhere. Um, yeah. 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 Sort of yeah. telepathic projection. This was um, like their
1: VoIP. This was like Vulcan voice over IP.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know. It just seemed a bit... Seemed I mean, you a, know, seemed they could have much. used, for example, voice over IP. <laughs> <Yeah. It laughs> had they felt a, so inclined. It seemed but, a yeah, bit I, much. Yeah, so that, that jarred a bit, and it was the only thing, really, that kind of ever so slightly pulled me out of it. I thought, oh, that's new, but I don't understand why it's new. Um, nah, I didn't like it. Um, but no, other than that, yeah, I mean, it, so much happening in this, and the again, the aesthetic was just incredible. Mm-hmm. I do like the fact that they're not relying too heavily on the aesthetic, either, because... Uh, whilst there are some glorious moments in it. I mean, the very first shot in the cold open, um, which yeah. starts from, you know, zooming out from inside the pupil of, uh, mm-hmm. uh but, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that was, that was pretty awesome for a start. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but it, it would be easy, wouldn't it? Like so many shows and dare I say so many that Brian Fuller has been involved in, um, to rely sort of too heavily on the aesthetic and, yeah. and yeah. not give too much rest of it. So, I, I the pressure it occurred to me the pressure that these guys must have been over in making um, in making this must have been extraordinary sure. because yeah. I cannot think of um, I was going to I mean Doctor Who is probably the only other example but then the audience for Doctor Who is far smaller uh, mm-hmm. I can't think of another franchise where so many people w- of a casual interest and an extreme interest over so many different iterations where different versions have been so important in different people's childhoods and everything else. Yeah, it's not like Star Wars. No, it really isn't. Um, I mean, it's it's Star Wars multiplied 10 times over. And I do wonder, when you look back at the history with Brian Fuller and everything else um, over this, I do wonder, really, if the network just... I wonder if they actually made the right call and just said, you know what, you're making a Brian Fuller show and that's great, but we need it to be something different. We need it to not just be another Brian Fuller show. I I have a feeling that it might have been, I know we were all slightly raising an eyebrow at, at Brian Fuller departing I think maybe the network uh, got shot of him to have, to make sure that they could carry on making Star Trek rather than making Brian Fuller's vision of Star Trek Right. and that was a yeah. bit of a tangent from what I started talking about, but... I mean it's, it's still,
1: just... I mean this is still very different from this isn't, this appears at least on its surface to not be a, uh, an ensemble show there is, There are obviously other cast members, but it appears to be focusing mostly on Sonequa Martin-Green's character, mm. and yeah. you're also not focusing on the captain, you're focusing on the first officer, although I'm not sure how she could become the first officer of this ship given the situation <laughs> she's in, but in right. day, I don't know, we'll see.
0: Because lots and be- lots of people die in a war, and yeah. then they need someone who knows something about Klingons. I don't think I'm giving anything away yeah. when I say that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe she becomes the captain by the end of the season. Like I'm not sure where they're headed, but so far it feels very... Di- like it To me it feels like Deep Space Nine meets modern, dramatic uh storytelling a la, yeah. you know, a la Game of Thrones or Westworld or something like that, um with like big dashes of Deep Space Nine's tone uh heaped on and probably turned up even a uh, a little bit as well.
0: Uh, Here's a question about the, the sort so of continuity when... aspects of it. Um is Okay, so we've had We're obviously talking about the you know the evolution of of the Klingon um, aesthetic and various other things you know to do with like for transporter aesthetic and all that sort of stuff. Incidentally, so glad they didn't use the Abrams style transporter. Um, so there's there's all of that. The one thing we've never really seen anyone try and tackle between iterations of Star Trek is the god awful sets in uh, the original series. The bridge uh, from mm-hmm. the original series is. Of its time, um, (laughs) by which I mean of the 60s. Um, I wonder whether any of, uh, I wonder if there is scope now to take maybe like a battle bridge for a ship or, you know, to to take a separate, um, to take that aesthetic and try and make a bit of a link so it doesn't feel quite so isolated from the rest of it. Because they've done it with the uniforms, they've done it with every other aspect of the aesthetic of the Star Trek universe, and no one's ever tackled that. Um, Would anyone have have any interest in seeing them try?
1: I mean, that's all I wanted them to... I mean, that was one of my big issues with how the show looked. There was a lot of arguments that I think people weren't getting. They thought the argument was make the show look like TOS. Like, it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be 10 years before TOS, so it should look like that. And that's not what I'm saying. You know, I don't think that's ever what the argument was going to be. I think it was you can take that look of the original series and you can modernize it and update it, but when you look at it, you still feel like they belong together you could see them coexisting in some form or fashion the
0: but
3: they've
0: the way- tried that haven't they because you 've got the sort of um the almost nasa uh, kind of, of of you know of yeah. the enterprise type um, mm-hmm. type era sort of design which they've then sprinkled in touch of touches of sort of you know cinematic uh, modern magic into it yeah. Um, yeah. and that that's all good. But that feels like a link between um, Enterprise and Next Gen. Yeah. And it, it sort of ignores the the time that passes in, in the interim. Yeah. And so this is, this is what I'm saying, is that um, I would... I mean, okay, we've got the, the audio kind of nods to it. I'd quite like to see some of the slightly clunkier um, original series uh, technology on, on, on board. I will say and, this.
1: I've mm. seen s I've seen some of this in some of the clips for the upcoming um discover. In fact, like this next episode, I think, like there are some shots of uh some of the consoles that have knobs and dials instead mm. of all push screens. There is mm. a point in which somebody hands Burnham a report and it's on a yellow card. You know, oh, kind nice. of like it's a little more clear looking. It looks like there's circuitry on it or something but it's very similar to like the printout card that were just like big you know plastic yellow squares or whatever they were in the original series but it's definitely like a nod to that like here's a whole bunch of information on this disc thing and they hand do you
0: think they'll it. have the the navigation um uh, map con that uh, that was between the ensign stations or something that's oh, really? a nod a nod yeah. to that that would, that would be quite a nice touch because actually that when I saw the telescope in uh, in uh, these episodes the first one wasn't it um that's i don't know why that's what jumped into my mind is oh you know they they're still having the nods to uh to sort of more traditional technology in that sense and of course in in the original series the nod to um you know the bridge of of ships was, mm-hmm. you know, this big navigational map thing in in the, the floor between uh, between the navigation cons. Um, I'd quite like to see something like that. I, I don't want them to, you know, or, or maybe, you know, like the red alert just, sort of big yeah, block yeah, of yeah. specs and stuff You're like just that. Just asking
1: I'd, for like some of the small details from those yeah. design elements just,
0: to kind just of peek their way in. some little nods to it just to make you think, okay, yeah. I, it, I, They're on their way there. there. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. That would actually help me a lot
3: this <laughs> well, like
1: getting those little bits i say it like i'm a patient in need of uh, like a i but i i kind of do i kind of want like those little bits where at least my brain can be like okay well they're heading in that direction maybe yeah, they're heading, yeah you know maybe they decide you know retro is cool let's go retro looking mm-hmm. uh but who knows uh so that's like a you said the same score for you ben so it's four and three quarters yep. uh what about you aurora what did you think of uh score-wise for battle of the binary stars
2: yeah, I have the same score from the that that I gave to the first episode. I I love this episode as well. Um, I do think that, you know, that the thing that I enjoy the most about Star Trek in general is the ethical dilemmas that the episodes give. Yeah. Um and even though we saw some of it in these two episodes, I think that they also re- you know, we we saw more action than mm-hmm. the actual Ethical issues um, of space discovery. Um, So I hope that as the show continues, you know, they kind of lay down a little bit on on the action and focus more on that ethical uh, dilemma of just discovering new worlds because that's what I enjoy the most in Star Trek. So,
1: yeah, Uh, I went up in score. I gave this four and three quarters for this episode. Yeah, I was very impressed by the by the second episode. And like I said, other than other than like my brain racking over what universe this really fits in, despite what the producers are saying. Uh outside of that, there were really good episodes with really interesting characters and mm-hmm. I'm excited to see more. Uh so before we roll off of this uh here Star Trek podcast, I know Ben has only seen one episode of Oroville Aurora. Have you seen any of it?
2: Nope. <laughs> I have
1: seen, okay, so I have watched the four episodes that have aired. I've been watching, I've been a regular watcher of it, actually. I watched Mm -hmm. it uh, the two Sundays that they premiered in the United States, and then I followed it over to Thursday nights where it's currently um, airing right now. So you just saw the pilot.
0: Ben, yeah, well I'm well. Just... can i say that obviously living in the united kingdom as i do naturally in order to watch it i traveled to a place where i could watch it lawfully um, <laughs> um without in any way breaking <laughs> any yeah. um so when i did that yeah uh, i watched the, the so i watched the first episode of it i will probably watch uh the remaining episodes that are available anyway um in a lawful place uh shortly after this conversation i imagine yeah. um well, actually, I'm interested. What, what were your initial thoughts of it? Because we, we've discussed being a little on edge about this, haven't we?
1: Yeah. The, so the first episode, I mean, I, I should say this, the entire, your entire viewing experience, I'm speaking to you, Aurora, and to mm-hmm. anyone else who has not watched the show, entirely hinges on what you think about Seth MacFarlane and Seth MacFarlane's mm-hmm. humor.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um Ben and I have both, uh, although I think Ben might be leaning more towards a fan of his humor than I am, I think we both say that it's kind of hit and miss sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what he's doing. And that does that is not an exclusion for this show. There are hit and miss jokes. Yeah. There's some stuff that I have laughed so hard at, and there's some other things that I'm just kind of like, eh, I could do without. And And that's not even... That's not even putting it in the context of it feels weird in a Star Trekky show to even do this kind of humor. They just kind of fell flat for me in general.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and they they would have otherwise. Um, the first That being said, the first episode is the weakest of the four, I think, by oh, really? far. really? Which is kind of a shame uh, that they start off with a weaker that, that episode. That gives me a bit of
0: hope, actually.
1: Um, I mean, so... I would not go into this if you want to see brand new never seen before star trek episodes because so far in these first 4 episodes i they have borrowed very liberally from past star trek episodes yeah. this is kind of like a this is like a beginner's guide to star trek for people who've never watched it before it is um, it's, so, it's
0: a duplo brick for yeah, a lego yeah. fan yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
1: if you're incredibly well versed in star trek you will recognize plots very quickly yeah. Uh, and kind of know where they're heading however that being said uh we talked aurora you talked about nostalgia earlier mm-hmm. uh just seeing the the ship and hearing the alexander courage theme and it just hitting the nostalgia points this show is 300% saturated in nostalgia mm-hmm. it is <laughs> soaked in it uh if you loved 90s star trek this show is all of those things. It is bright. Uh, there are hopeful messages, moral dilemmas, ethical, you know, mishaps. The aesthetic
0: the, is directly next generation.
1: The, the aesthetic is mm. pure next generation. As far as like the bridge, uh, the bridge isn't, doesn't look like the next gen bridge, but it looks like the guy who decorated the next gen bridge <laughs> decorated this bridge.
0: They had the same guy in, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. They have the same guy. In, in fact, in a lot of ways, they do behind the scenes. A lot of the. They've yeah. got like Braga and some of the other Star Trek veterans from the. Oddly era. enough, the,
0: furn- the furniture of his ready room gets this discussion in the show as well, rather it weird
1: as it does. Um, there, there is actually less humor as the episodes have gone, and there's mm-hmm. always humor, uh,
0: but it's, it's is it not really just that this is Seth MacFarlane who loves? I mean, we know he's a massive Star Trek fan. Um, yep. Who you know got a little taste of starfleet uniform, uh, courtesy of having the right friends, um, and <laughs> has desperately always wanted to be in Star Trek, and <laughs> so he's made his own goddamn Star Trek. I mean, it's, it's pretty much the deal. He, yeah. it's like it's like Next Generation. If you took out this, any level of complexity, replaced it instead with um, the you know the script editor of Spaceballs and uh, Galaxy Quest, and uh, and then made. The lead in any of the above yeah. slightly more annoying. I mean, that's yeah, I, that's basically what it is.
1: Yeah, I will say I will say this: it is not. Uh, I think a lot of people took the wrong tack to this show. They thought it was going to be spoof, like no. Galaxy oh, yeah. Quest. No, yeah. It's not, yeah.
0: Um,
1: but instead, I think they're really angling more towards it, trying to be like Mash, which was a very serious show, but was also full of humor all the time. And it took them a while to get the balance right, but eventually they struck a really good balance, and they managed to do humor. In a really not humorous situation, if they and then manage also to balance turn, it with drama.
0: If they manage to turn this into anything nearly as credible as MASH, I shall be astonished. Right? <laughs> right?
3: I
1: mean, that's what uh, he's, but MASH that's is one what of the all
0: time great shows in TV history. Agreed, and agreed. The Orville. Is not. Know. I mean, I'm I'm only one episode in, and uh, do you know actually what you're saying about them kind of dialing down the? I mean, uh, do you know what I, I said to Alex halfway through watching this? I said, you know, we're halfway through episode one, and there's you know, wow, no no, no dick jokes yeah. yet. Um, but I mean. <laughs> Because you know when they turned up at the space station, did you not expect it to appear? You know, cock and balls. Let's be honest. It was... Yeah, <laughs> and, they, and they
1: don't do anything like that—not with the design aesthetic. But no. the you know, and again, it's it's weird. It's like the, the humor, like there's there's pop culture references and things like that. Yes, um, yes. But is
0: there an alien that speaks like this?
1: There is not. Oh well, that's a good start <laughs> as well, isn't it? <laughs> there is a. I mean, like there's a there's a Beyonce joke in like the third episode. It's so weird to hear a Beyonce joke, <laughs> but it made me laugh so hard. It's it's you've got like a character who's very um, Bordis, who you would remember from the first episode. He's kind of like yep. the Klingon of the crew uh, yep. from an all male species, um, and it's actually from the third episode where him and his mate have a child, and it turns out to be a female. And uh, females are only born on their planet once every 75 years, and by law of their planet, they are forced to undergo sex change operations to change their gender. And obviously you can tell where that's headed in a Star Trek-like show, and there's moral debates and questions. It actually turns into a very good
0: episode. Um but Damn it, I'm gonna a... have to actually watch the rest of this now. I was kinda <laughs> yeah. thinking I may as about... forget that it's there, but he is
1: about to depart the he is about to depart the ship and he's like, It's a culture on my planet, you know, before leaving to uh to provide a uh you know, he, he basically provides like a, a meaningful quote from one of their planet's authors or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. uh some sort of thing and he's like it's from this author who wrote this book or whatever he's like now it is customary for you to share a similar quotation with you know some wise person from your planet and they quote the lyrics from destiny's the destiny's child song survivor (laughs) and uh he's like that is very inspiring who wrote that and they're like actually i think it was like 15 people wrote that (laughs) Uh, because they obviously they don't pop pop stars don't write their own music they have like a whole team of people writing their songs (laughs) um but there's like you know cute jokes like that in there um but there are like just tons of they mention star wars in the show because it's not star trek so you feel free to mention star wars uh it exists Uh, there's like all sorts of little things like that like seth MacFarlane's captain has like a kermit the frog that's on his desk do you know the um, weird
0: thing about Seth MacFarlane's character in this that I just couldn't stop? That. This is odd, and maybe it's the size of the television that I mentioned, but yes. because of um this is just a strange thing. Gosh, he—he's—he's um he's, he's all about the man spreading, isn't he? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. yeah. No, the, now I've mentioned it, I guarantee you'll be able to notice nothing other than that whenever he's sat on the bridge. <laughs> he it's does. He does do that a lot.
3: Creepy.
1: Um, you know, like the, the two comm officers are just like regular guys.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, one is very much playing a Simon Pegg version of, uh, of his character, yes. isn't he? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I just love like they get into a space battle and they're just like, uh, oh, we're not going to get out at five o'clock today or something like that. Yeah. it's a nice Like they don't care about the crew. They're just dreading that they're not going to get out of work. They got to work overtime because they ran into a space battle,
3: <laughs> uh, stuff
1: like that. But I mean, there are, there's some, there's obviously very serious moments, Um, and some funny moments and then there's obviously there's some stuff that doesn't quite land I I feel like they're still trying to find their ground Uh, and like I said the stories are very familiar if you've ever watched Star Trek Um, I mean obviously there's also 700 episodes of Star Trek so it's going to be difficult to do anything that hasn't been done yet Star Trek is
0: the sci-fi equivalent uh, equivalent to Simpsons did it isn't it? That's
1: right that's right Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that being said I think it's really good. Like, there's a lot to be had there. I mean, if you love Seth MacFarlane and Seth MacFarlane's humor, this is for you. And if you... hang on, hang on, how
0: many fourteen-year-olds are listening to this show? <laughs> that's true.
1: I feel like they should watch. I feel like they should watch this show, though. They will probably learn something good. Yeah, um, actually, that's true. It's like a
0: gateway drug to actual yeah. Star Trek.
1: It, it is. <laughs> uh, I mean, and everything like the opening. Uh, the opening theme uh, is like the opening theme song for the new Star Trek show is very modern television drama mm-hmm. with bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum. bum bum i am bum, 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 bum. shocked there wasn't a blah in there or whatever. <laughs> I'm shocked they didn't put that in there. Dub- going for a whole dubstep thing. Be yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or like the Hans Zimmer inception sound. Like, you know, all that <laughs> stuff they put into <laughs> things. That <laughs> that <it. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's
3: I'm, a shocked not,
1: I'm shocked they haven't gone that route yet. But the like the Orville theme is... Straight up '90s Star Trek sounding, complete yeah. with the ship just flying through space. You didn't get to see it because the the pilot episode does not have the opening title sequence. No,
0: I've seen I've seen the intro on uh, YouTube though. Yeah. Oh,
1: okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They've uh, yeah, it's complete with just the ship flying pat, past planets and through stars and past comets and stuff like that. It's like that uplifting Star Trek theme from from years years gone by so if like you're craving 90s Star Trek like I kind of was yeah. uh, it really it really like scratches an itch for sure there, there's just there's some moments where you're just like okay that was not needed at all and felt kind of weird but some of the other humor does land and the episodes themselves as far as like the actual plots of the episode which are never directly affected by the comedy the comedy always seems to be something that's happening in between the plot points. Um, they're, they're never directly affected by, uh, the, the comedy is the plot. So Mm -hmm. it's a, I would, I would say four episodes in, I'm kind of in for the long haul for this season. And I'm curious to see where it goes so far. I would say it's really good. I mean, I'm not going to try to compare it to discovery because at this point they are kind of two different (laughs) shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is like, you know, Star Trek going in a new direction while still being Star Trek. And this is, you know, revisiting, um, you know, old, you know, older Star Trek. Yeah. But um, it and but and speaking of, we talked about how great Discovery looks. Orville also looks really good. Like they poured a bunch of money into that show. They really did. Yeah. Uh, it it also looks really nice. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna now that we're now down to like one to one, I'm gonna keep watching Orville so we can talk about it on the next episode of the podcast. Uh, but we probably should wrap things up for this week. By the way, there are two episode titles uh, released for future episodes, and they are now getting into original series Star Trek levels of episode titling. (laughs) Uh, Because, you you know, like, there's, like, For the Earth is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky was an episode title. (laughs) Episode four is called The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry is episode four. (laughs) 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 So that is, like... (laughs) Straight out of, like, TOS. I think that's a, it's kind of not like a
0: Klingon proverb. <laughs> I think it
1: does. Replace uh, replace Lamb's Cry with Targ's Cry. Or yeah. Human's Cry, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's the episode uh, for this week. Head on over to cinemageekly.com and check out the archives of I'm a Doctor, Not a Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play Music. I'm relatively certain you can just search for I'm a Doctor and then... Subscribe to the podcast that doesn't look like it has anything to do with medicine, <laughs> uh, and that's us.
0: Although uh, next week we will be giving you um, uh, three handy tips for beating the seasonal flu. So <laughs> <this for that. laughs> we are going to try to compete with those other podcasts, by the way. Yeah, there's got to be some great. crossover there,
2: huh? I, I don't, I, I don't know if I would listen to a pod- medical podcast that's titled "I am a doctor." <laughs> so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, seriously, I am a doctor. I I should say, having having recently guested on uh, Opening Arguments, which is an American (laughs) version of the... They call themselves an American version of the show that I used to do called North Pod Law um they start their show with a disclaimer that includes the following line which i'm going to use when we bring northbound back which is don't take legal advice from a podcast <laughs> i think the same may be true of medical advice That's
2: pretty sound advice yes.
0: it is i'm a doctor does sound like
1: dr nick from the simpsons that would be like the name of his podcast
0: or which is the production company that ends with the not a doctor um <laughs>
1: Not actually a doctor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so for Ben Knight and Aurora Bubba Lou, I'm Anthony Lewis. We'll be back next week with more Star Trek Season 1, Episode 3 of Star Trek Discovery, called Context is for Kings.